Daniel chapter 3, if you will, Daniel chapter 3. Uh, of course, this summer we've been doing standalone sermons for the month of July and the month of August, and I hope they've been a help and encouragement. I want to thank Brother Cameron and Brother TJ for preaching last week. Uh, myself and Pastor were out of town. He was in Pendleton, Oregon, and preaching there for Pastor Mark Watkins. And my wife and I were in Turlock, California, where we planted a church nine years ago. We got invited back to preach, and it was exciting to see what God is continuing to do there and several fruits of our labors. And then that evening, I was able to preach at another church in Manteca, and it's good to be back. Good to be back in our place, and I hope you had just a wonderful, wonderful week. It's good to see each and every one of you this morning. I see several guests. Thank you for coming. And I know some of you traveled quite some distance to get here, and we do not take that lightly. We're so honored to have you here, uh, returning guests, uh, faithful members alike, and it's just good, good to be in church. The children are enjoying some inflatables here in a few minutes, and some school supplies and backpacks. I know they had a good crowd over there, the teens as well, uh, many over here, and then our junior hires are meeting upstairs, and then our nursery. And so it's exciting to see a multi-generational church all over the place, worshiping God, and what a blessing that is. If you have your uh, Bibles open to Daniel chapter 3, or if you'd like to follow along on the screen and stand to your feet if you're physically able to, uh, we want to read the scripture this morning. We'll just read the first six verses. We'll go farther throughout the chapter today. A very familiar story, a very familiar passage, no doubt. You've heard this story in junior church or children's church or Sunday school growing up. Perhaps you've heard a message or two about it, but I hope to bring out some things this morning that maybe will impact your life and are applicable today, and I really believe you'll be challenged by it, and I pray that God will do that. Daniel chapter 3 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura and the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. Whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And let's bow our head for prayer this morning, and then you can be seated. Lord, we sure do love you, and thank you so much for loving us. You certainly are a great God. Lord, we come to you humbly today, asking that you'll meet with us. We desperately want to hear from you. Lord, I realize I'm just human. Lord, Lord, you called me to preach, and I certainly do want to get out of the way and let you work this morning. I pray that you'll anoint me with your Holy Spirit power and flow through me. And Lord, you'll use this message, Lord, in a way that will impact lives. Lord, be with those who are online, maybe tuning in. They would love to be here, but they're at work, or maybe they're sick, or maybe they're out of town. I pray that you'll just touch their body, and may they know they're loved and cared for. Be with those here that are in person, and 
Lord, I pray you open up their heart, open up your ears uh, to the message that's being preached this morning. Lord, as the gospel is shared here as well, I pray that those who are searching for you will find you. Those maybe who are needing to be prodded a little bit maybe and brought back to you, may that happen today. I pray that those who are maybe dealing with hardships or trials or burdens or or have something heavy weighing on their mind, may they put it aside for a little bit and may they find rest in you. I pray you'll be with the children and the nursery and the teenagers and you'll just work in their hearts as well. We sure do love you, Lord. Thank you so much for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Years ago, there was an English writer who wrote the story about a janitor who was at St. Peter's Church in London. One day, uh, uh, a young vicar discovered that the janitor was illiterate and fired him. Man, this young man was really disappointed and discouraged, jobless, and he took what meager change he had and Money could scrounge up and he invested it into a tobacco shop. He prospered that and kept buying others. And soon he had a whole chain of tobacco stores worth several hundred dollars. Several weeks later, he was having a meeting with his banker. And his banker looked at him and says, you've done very well for an illiterate. But where would you be if you could read and write? Well, replied the man, I'd be a janitor of St. Peter's Church in Evil Square. (laughs) And you know, oftentimes in our Christian life, we maybe feel like that man. And we, things just aren't going like we planned or anticipated. But in the end, God has a way of just turning everything out like he intended it. And here's a similar story of three boys, Hebrew boys, who they determined in their heart whether... It turned out or not, they were going to choose to trust God and they were going to follow him. And God did some remarkable things in their life. Now, maybe God won't do this for you or me, but I do promise you he will take care of his children. And he will help us. And I want us to see three things this morning that these boys learned. And I believe we can learn that can apply to our lives in this present day and our present culture. Number one, if you're writing, we see the pressures of pluralism, the pressures of pluralism. It's the year 600 BC, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon, which is becoming a world power, a world empire. He's defeating country after country, and he comes to Jerusalem and he defeats them too. It's now about 600 BC, he's taken key leaders, key government officials, artists, the wealthy, if you will, the athletic, those who are well-learned, those who are intelligent, and he takes them, And he then starts uh, educating them with the Babylonian philosophies, the Babylonian beliefs, the Babylon uh, core value system. And his strategy is subjugation through assimilation. And his goal is that he will so transform and change these young men and these young women's lives that eventually they will adapt to Babylonian culture. Therefore, they will refuse uh, to resist the claims of the empire. And it was working quite well. Man after man, woman after man was starting to adjust and acclimate. But there were three boys, well really four with Daniel, that were acclimating in some aspects. But there were some aspects they refused to acclimate to. Because they knew it was against what they had been taught, against the word of God. And they did not want to disappoint their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
And so this morning we see the first pressure they faced was the pressure of pluralism. And you say, what are you talking about this morning? What do you mean by the pressure of pluralism? Well, let's start in verse number one. We won't read verses one through three again. But I will say from this, these verses we see that Nebuchadnezzar builds a 90 foot tall image. It's made of gold. It's a very beautiful image. And it's set in the middle. The plain of Dura there is a very visible image. In fact, everywhere you go, you could see it. And you could see that this was the image. And it was very clear. And this was something that resembled something in particular. But what was that? Well, if you, before we see that in verses 4 and 5, you see there's a decree being made. And when the music is played, that decree will be given and you better bow. Or else, verse number 6 says the consequences is you will be thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. But what did this image mean? Why was it so important that they bowed? Well, if you look through the chapter, you will not find a name for this image. But we do see perhaps maybe what it represented in verse number 14. Of course, this is after... Uh, the children have come before Nebuchadnezzar, but we won't get into that. But Nebuchadnezzar, we won't a little bit, but he says, He spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image? Perhaps that golden image represented the gods of Babylon. It represented the core values, the belief system. Everything Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do, this represented that. And he wanted every person, not just all the common man, but if you notice in verses 2 and 3, all the sheriffs, the governors, the leaders, everyone who seemed to have some type of influence or power in the kingdom were required to be there. And when the music sounded, you will bow and you will yield yourself to me. Nebuchadnezzar says, you will yield yourself to all my gods. You will yield to my, yourself to everything, all my core values, all my belief system. You are now saying that I respect and I I submit to Nebuchadnezzar. Can you imagine being one of those leaders and knowing that if I do not bow, I am going to burn? Now, it's interesting because Nebuchadnezzar knew, like everyone else is, that this was a very multinational city. And really, he didn't mind so much if each person privatized their belief. In other words, you can worship God, you can worship your gods, you can worship whatever you want in the privacy of your home. But when you're out in public and when you're in front of everyone, you better show that you are submitting to the king and the king's gods. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to privatize their personal faith and publicly display their faith in Nebuchadnezzar's gods. Now, if you think about it, that's not so unusual in our culture today, is it not? It's amazing how our world is trying to paint a certain direction to go. And teenagers, you no doubt are feeling the pressure on your life. Young adults, you're probably facing it as well. And especially if you go to a secular college, if you're in the workplace, you probably feel that there's a certain way you should go. Well, my dear friends, these three boys understood that no matter what happened, I don't want to privatize my faith. No, there came a point when we had to publicly take a stand for what is right. It's interesting when we look at what several our world is trying to accept what our world is trying to adapt to. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves sliding that way. But these three boys knew there was a line that they were not going to cross. In fact, if you don't feel like you ever feel that pressure from the world, perhaps you aren't really standing strong for your faith. It will happen. It will come. 
In fact, these boys weren't just any boys. They were somebody. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 29 from the letter of the exiles, they were told to flourish there. And these boys had flourished. They had become very high up. And when they did not bow, it was noticed by the Chaldeans especially. It's interesting, ironically, the chapter before, these Chaldeans' lives were saved because Daniel was able to tell the king the, the meaning of his dream. He says, hey, don't, don't kill anybody. I, the Lord will give it to me and I'll tell you. And these same men whose lives were changed, were saved, are the same men who saw these three boys. And if you read later, it says that Chaldeans came to Nebuchadnezzar and said, hey, didn't you say everybody was supposed to bow? But there's three who refuse to bow. Let me encourage you today. Are you resisting this pressure to bow? So what are you talking about? Well, several years ago, my wife and I and our kids were in Modesto, California. It gets hot there. In fact, this week when we were there, the one day it was 108 degrees. Now, I know you experienced that last year. You're pros at it. But it's not fun to be in 108 degrees. And we were sitting under a tent because you could not sit inside at that particular time due to COVID restrictions. And we were trying to enjoy, sorry, Brother Wayne, a Panda Express. Okay. We are, we are having a discussion today and Brother Wayne says, hey, I, I know everything there is to do with Chinese food. And so Panda Express is not the real thing. Now, I hope it doesn't offend anybody in here. But it sure offended my wife, you know. And she loves Panda Express. But anyways, we're eating that. And a couple, couple tables over, we hear some awful language. It was just very ungodly. It was just filthy. And we had our kids, and, and, and I thought, wow, this can't go on. You know, our wife's, my wife's like, you know, do we need to move? I said, no, we're here first. We're going to go talk to them. <laughs> and so I got up, all big, bold, and confident for the first step. <laughs> and I said, like, okay, let's, let's, let's do this right. And I went to the young ladies there and I said, you know, we have children over here. We really would appreciate it if you'd watch your language. We don't want them to hear that. And honestly, it really isn't helpful for anyone to hear. And two of those girls turned red faced, and you could tell they were embarrassed. And they said, you know what? We know better than that. We're going to be careful. I said, you betcha, you betcha. No, I was like, praise the Lord, you know. A few minutes later, we heard one other bad word and, and I looked up. And the girl said, hey, hey, don't say that. We're not, we're not going to talk that way. I just want to encourage you today with, it's not always easy to do. But we, most of the time when you stand up for what's right, people help, were taught better. <laughs> people understand. Now, that doesn't always work. I get that. But there needs to come a time sometimes when you, when you stand for what's right. A few days ago, my children uh, wanted to watch uh, a, a, a commercial came over for bu- the new Buzz Lightyear. You know, they love Toy Story, you know, and they love but to infinity and beyond. I mean, who doesn't want to be like Buzz Lightyear? I mean, you can just fly everywhere. You can take over everything. But I, I had read in an article that one of the leading role players in that is, is a young lady, and she has a girlfriend, and she kisses her. Now, I haven't watched it. Uh, I don't plan to watch it. But I told my children, no, we're not going to watch that video. But Daddy, it's Buzz. we got to watch Buzz. Now, I didn't necessarily explain to them why they couldn't. I just said, you're going to have to trust Daddy. We're not going to watch that. And may I encourage you, there's times when the pressure comes. Oh, what's the big deal? It's just a little thing. No, no, no. It's, 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 it's wrong. 
And these three Hebrew boys knew the price they were going to pay, but they refused to privatize their faith. They wanted to publicly not, they weren't, in, in fact, if you read uh, uh, a couple, uh, in verse number 16, it says they were not careful to answer the end of this matter. They told the king, hey, king, we're, we're going to be careful about this. We've thought this out. We're not standing up here waving a big sign. If you bow, you're wicked. We're not doing any of that. We're just refusing not to kneel. Isn't it interesting how when you just try to live right and do right, even if you're not trying to disrupt anybody's lives, people get aggravated because you're living for God, living right. But these three boys refused to bow. They said, no, we're not willing to give in to their faith in God. You know, it's interesting how sometimes it's difficult to take a stand for what's right. It's difficult sometimes when you make a decision in your mind that you're going to do something to do it. It reminds me of the pastor. He was on a diet. And no, not me, even though I probably could use it, all right. But he's driving into town and he says, Lord, if it be your will that I not eat donuts this morning, may there be no parking spot in front of the donut shops. Well, he drove by and there was two parking spots. And after eating his donut, he was heard muttering, Lord, I asked you for that, and it only took the eighth time, but I finally found two spots open. I don't think that's what God had in mind. But may I encourage us to learn to take a stand for God, stand for right. But not only do we see the pressure of pluralism, but I want us to see, number two, the precision of true faith. The precision of true faith. Faith. What are you talking about with that? Well, I want to see verse number 17. Of course, the Chaldeans have turned them in. They've come before Nebuchadnezzar. They say, Nebuchadnezzar, we're, we're careful in answering. We're not trying to gloat. We're not trying to be proudful. We're not trying to stick it to you. We're just simply taking a stand for what we believe is right. And it's interesting because they answer Nebuchadnezzar and they said there in verse number 17, if it be so, Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, are you, maybe you didn't understand. Are you willing to be thrown in the furnace for this? And the boy says, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. They said, Nebuchadnezzar, our God is able. By the way, we believe our God is able. Isn't that wonderful when you can, when you know that your God is omnipotent? He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. He's all-knowing, he's sovereign, he's king and ruler of all. Isn't it wonderful when you can take a step and stand for God knowing that your God is all those things? And these boys says, hey, our God is able. And by the way, we believe he's able. But isn't, I think the most amazing thing is what they say in verse number 18. But if not, not, not if he's not able, not if he couldn't, but if he chooses not to deliver us. We will not serve nor worship thy gods. In other words, they were not saying, King, if, if you know God's able. In fact, he can. But if he chooses not, it's not contingent on us serving God or not. And we live in a day and age in a society where a lot of times a Christian, what they do for God is contingent on what God can do for them. And it's interesting to me that these three boys were willing to do right, whether Jesus, whether God would, 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 would victoriously take care of them or not. 
You see, their faith was not balled up in what God could do for them. No, their faith was in what Jesus Christ had did for them on Calvary. But their faith was in God and who he was to them, not what he could do for them. Let me ask you a question. Don't you love when people love you for who you are instead of your wealth or your good looks or your talents? You know, you feel used if that's the case. And God says, hey, these three boys, they love me whether I do anything for them or not. And we see that not only that the, that Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to privatize their faith and instead come public with who, uh, worshiping him, but they also saw that, hey, these boys are willing to go in the fiery furnace whether their God takes care of them or not. Albert Barnes said this, Here are men of principle. We love God for who he is, not for what we can get out of him. Oftentimes people will say something like this, I trusted God and asked him for things and he didn't come through. But when you do that, you're balling up trusting God with your agenda, as I mentioned earlier. They were saying, we trust God. We love and serve him for him alone. Not plus what we get out of him, but who he is to us. And these boys were spiritually fireproof before they became physically fireproof. May I encourage you, if you're going to make it through the fire and trials of life, you must be spiritually fireproof first. There's a story years ago about a nurse who was walking down on her break and she saw a piece of wood sticking out of the dumpster. As humans are curious, she pulled that piece of wood out and it was a cello. It had some scratches on it, but it looked like it was well-made, Looked like it had a little bit of age to it. And she thought it would be cool. Maybe she could make something out of it. And she remembered her boyfriend's a cabinet maker. So maybe they could make a CD holder out of it or something. And so she decided to take it home. She showed it to her boyfriend. And he says, you know, wow, that's really cool. But we probably should go and, and check with the authorities first to make sure no one's missing it. So they took it to the authorities. And what they found out was amazing. This cello was built and, and crafted by the master craftsman Antonio Stradivari in 18, 1684. There was only one, this was one out of 60 cellos he made in the whole world. It was 322 years old and it was worth $3.5 million. It had been stolen from a member of the Los Angeles Philharmonic Orchestra just weeks before. And it was about ready to be turned into worthless when it became into a CD holder. But they were able to rescue it. And it was interesting what they said about the Shudavarius cello. It has a distinct and costly sound in the music world that neither scientist nor musician can understand the difference. A Shudavarius is the most sought-after musical instrument. It is a work of art in its own right, and it's coveted by collectors and players. And one person said this of the Stradivarius. To be in the presence of this cello is to be in the presence of something great, whether it is recognized or not. In other words, whether you recognize it or not, this is a great instrument. And I want to encourage you today, Nebuchadnezzar could not recognize what these three boys recognized. No, he was wondering why these three boys who he had invested in he had given them 
talents. He had helped cultivate their talents. He had given them book knowledge. He had given them training. He had given them a nice home. He had given them nice clothes. He had given them uh, uh, influence instead of, instead of a prison yard. He had done all this for them, but they refused to submit to his God. And it's interesting that though Nebuchadnezzar knew who their God was because Daniel had, had, had got to his God and told him the meaning of the dream, these three, four boys had eaten pulse and soup and vegetables uh, for 10 days and still turned out better than the rest. He had seen the effects of what God had done, but he didn't know God like these three Hebrew boys. And I want to encourage you today, just like that Stradivarium cello was something unique that only if you truly understood and knew it, it was something special to you. Until you had truly experienced God and what all he's done for you, you won't understand why people are willing to stand up for Christ. You won't understand why people are willing to, 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 to be burned at the stake, if you will, in years past. You won't understand unless you truly understand what God has done for you. God has created you. God cares for you. God comforts you. God came for you. He was willing to be crucified for you. He was willing to be beaten and mocked and nailed to an old rugged cross. That cross was thrown into the soil and man, that hurt. And every breath he took, he gasped. Why would he do that? Why would someone be willing to come and do that and be crucified for you? Why? Because of the sin that you and I have done. Jesus was crucified for you and me, but on the third day he arose and one day he's going to come back for you and me. Until you understand what Jesus Christ really did and you accept him as your personal savior and begin a relationship with him, you'll, you'll be like Nebuchadnezzar. You'll be, so, you'll be like the world. Why do you do what you do? Well, when you know Jesus Christ, you can understand the difference and it's worth all the difference in all the world. So we see, first of all, the pressures of pluralism. But number two, we saw the precision of true faith. There was a reason why they were willing to faithfully stand for their God. And I hope and pray in your life this morning, you understand why you want to stand up and why you want to please God. But third of all, I want us to see the promise, the promises of suffering in this story. The promises of suffering. Because once these boys stood, it was quite evident that Nebuchadnezzar was going to come through on his promise of the fiery furnace. Because if you read in verse number 19, the Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. And he commanded that they should heat the furnace seven times more than it was wont to be heated. Man, Nebuchadnezzar is furious. And he, and, he, and he notices two things. First of all, he heats up the fire. He goes to a vantage point because if you got too close, you're going to die. Because his most mighty men who threw the boys in, they ended up dying. And he notices that these boys are walking around and they're not being consumed. But the second thing he notices in verse 25, there wasn't three, but there's four. And the fourth is as the Son of God. Can you imagine what's going through Nebuchadnezzar's heart right now? You've got to be kidding me. How lucky can these boys get? I mean... God's coming through for them. They said, whether he does or not, they're still going to be willing to be thrown in. And so I throw him in, and God is coming through for them. I see three things that we can apply to our life from this part of the story this morning. First of all, the Bible promises that it is inevitable that we will suffer. Now, this isn't an exciting part of the message. Woohoo! Praise the Lord. We're going to suffer. How do you know this, Pastor Justin? 
Well, Job 5, 7 says, Yet man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. 1 Peter 4, 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. You see, fire furnaces are a metaphor for trials, troubles, and suffering. So whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, trials and troubles are part of life. And so we see that as biblical But oftentimes people will say, I live a good life, why should I suffer? Or my aunt was one of the most amazing people in all the world. Why is she dealing with that? Why why is that? Well, I can say Jesus lived a perfect life and he still suffered for you and me. So why should we get a pass? But oftentimes Americans struggle with suffering the most. I mentioned this earlier, but when I was in Honduras, it amazed me what people, the conditions they would live under, And what we would think are trials and tribulations to them is normal everyday life. But when we struggle with suffering, we must understand it's part of life. But I I don't want to just get stuck on that this morning. Because the second thing we can learn from trials, if you trust him, suffering will relate to your character like fire relates to gold. 1 Peter 1.7 says that if the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold... That perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You know what God wants to do with your trial? He wants to bring gold out of your life. Here's a few things that I wrote down. C.S. Lewis said this, why do the righteous suffer? He said, why not? He replied, they're the only ones who can take it. And that is interesting in our life. Your faith is like your character. It helps you learn your strengths during times of testing. Suffering helps you become a compassionate and sympathetic person. I shared this in the 830 service. I, I, I remember before we had children, before I had children, I don't think my wife ever said this to anyone, but I did. I said, you know, they just don't get it. I mean, you know, when I become a dad, I have children, we're going to do it this way. And the children are just going to listen. They're just going to fall in line. They're going to eat their breakfast, eat their lunch, you know, no problems. They're going to jump right in bed, just like that. They're not going to need to, you know, get a drink, or they're not going to have 16 owies all of a sudden. They're just, it's just going to be great. I mean, why is having children, why, why is it so hard? And then I started having children, and I became very sympathetic very quickly. And I realized, oh my goodness, this is hard. If I would have known how hard this was, and man, I, I would have probably rethought, man, this is hard. Isn't it amazing how trials, and, I, and I'm not saying having children are trials, but I'm just simply saying how experience, <laughs> experiences in life help you with your compassion, does it not, and your sympathy? Things that you used to not, you know, that's their problem. Well, once you've gone through a few things, you say, you know what, give them a little grace. It's a lot easier, a lot harder than you think. You know, it's like several sports, like the game of golf. I thought, what's so hard? You just walk up there, and you swing, and you hit that ball. And it goes forever, because I'm strong, I'm powerful. You and I find, it goes everywhere where, where I want it to go, you know. <laughs> okay, it's a little harder than I thought. Suffering also brings a profound trust in God. How many times have I seen, in, and not so much my life, I, I, I don't want to paint a picture that I've suffered a lot, 
really God's been good to me, but I've seen people I love and I'm close to suffer and I've watched their trust in God just grow. I thought, wow, only God could do that. Suffering, well, one thing it does, it helps you become wiser about life and you decide I'm not going to go down that road again if I don't have to. Suffering brings all these things out in your life. And Malcolm Muggeridge said this, Contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my experience has been through affliction and not through happiness. You might be saying, okay, well, if suffering does that to me, okay, let it come. Well, I caution you, just because you suffer doesn't mean all those good things are going to come out of you. Because I've watched people who suffered, it crushes them. So what do we do? How does our suffering turn out as gold? How do we keep it from crushing us? What do we do? Well, this morning I want to share with you just a few things And we see that, the last thing, see there, God says, if you let me, I'll walk with you in and through the trial. Now, how do you know this, Pastor Justin? I mean, you're just 35, I know. But I know what God's word says. And these verses have helped me so much in my life. They're really what I call my life verses. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. The Bible says, but now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. So how can you get to yourself, to that place, where when you go through suffering, it turns out to be gold and not something else? How does that happen? Well... We must understand that you will feel Jesus walking with you through your furnace when you understood he faced the greatest furnace for you. What are you talking about? Jesus faced a furnace for me? Well, Jonathan Edwards, years ago, one of the greatest preachers probably to ever live, he was in the early days of our country, phenomenal preacher. He preached a message one time, and I thought it was interesting. He said that when Jesus was in the garden and when he faced that agony and when he was crucified on Calvary, what he experienced was like a fiery furnace, but it was way more incredible than these Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ever faced. How did Jesus do that? Well, if you remember, he was crucified and he took all our punishment and sin upon us. He faced hell for us. He was willing to go to the cross and pay for all the sins of mankind for you and me. Now, did we deserve that? Absolutely not. You see, we were sinners. The Bible says, wherefore is by one man sin entered the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, for the wages of sin is death. Our sin is keeping us from God. Now, Jesus was willing to face the ultimate furnace for you and me. He was willing to be crucified on Calvary for you and for me. My question to you this morning, 
If Jesus was willing to face the fire for you, will you allow Jesus to do it for you? Then you say, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. If Jesus has faced the fire for me, then I'm automatically good, right? No, 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 no. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just because Jesus faced the fire for you doesn't mean that you're good. You now have a decision to make. You can choose to face the fire on your own for your sins. You can try to do good things, try to go to church, try to give money, try to do all these things to pay for it. Or you can let Jesus Christ truly face it for you by putting your faith and trust in him and him alone. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh from the Father but by me. Let me ask you a question this morning. Other religions try to attack on good works, morals, money, so forth. And maybe that's what you've tried to do. My question to you this morning is, are you willing to let go of that and put your faith wholly into Jesus Christ and him alone? I did that on June 22nd, 1997 as a 10-year-old boy. I really understood this and I gave it to God and it changed my life completely. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you realize for the first time Jesus ultimately faced the fire for him. He, he took the pain and the punishment. He was crucified for me. All I have to do is just give my life to him. Secondly, this morning, an application. If Jesus was willing to face the ultimate furnace for me, I can face the smaller furnaces steadfastly for him. If Jesus was willing to do that for me, I can do what he's asking me to do in return. Now, I know it's not easy. It's not enjoyable. But my dear friend, if Jesus faced the ultimate for me, the least I can do is just be willing to do it with him. And that brings up number three, because if you're sitting here, you might be thinking, okay, okay, I'll give my life to Christ, but then I have to face these furnaces. But I want us to see number three. If I trust in him, this furnace will only make me better for him and will turn me closer to God. Look at verse number 29. No other God can deliver after this sort, Nebuchadnezzar said. You know what Nebuchadnezzar was saying? No other God can save like this God. And if you're willing to give your life to Christ because he faced the furnace for you, it's your choice. But if you're willing to do that, then the smaller furnaces won't seem that bad. And then when you realize that if I go through those smaller furnaces, Jesus Christ is with me every step of the way. He will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Aren't you glad for a God who's not just willing to have you face the furnace, but he wants to go through it with you. There's a story about a race years ago. The command rang out. On your mark, get set. And the pistol shot went. It was a high school race. And this one young man just took off. And it was clearly evident from the start that no one's going to catch him. I mean, he's truly gifted, truly talented. And he won the race. And he actually set a state, state record. He was gone so fast that half the people just gave up and didn't even try to finish the race. Well... It was a two-mile race, and they, they started going to the next event. They started putting hurdles out. And about that time, they heard a cry from one of the judges, Move the hurdles! Someone is still running! Man, the hurdles were moved, and they saw this young man gasping. Looked like he was about to die. 
I mean, he was giving it all he had. You could tell that he wasn't really ready for this race, but he was not going to quit. He finally tripped across the line and his face ran into the cinder track, scarred it all up. Man, one of the judges leaped down and he went over to the young man. He said, son, why in the world did you not drop out? What are you doing in a two-mile race? You clearly weren't ready for this. Between gasps, the boy explained that his school had a good two-miler who came down sick just days before. And his coach made a promise that they would have someone in every meet. And so he asked for a volunteer. And this young boy said, I will run the race for my school. Well, son, continued the judge, why didn't you just drop out when you saw you had lost so badly? What was the point? The boy answered, Judge, they didn't send me here to quit. They didn't send me here to win. They sent me here to run this race, and I ran it. Today we saw three boys. If you're not careful, you can say, Oh, that was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, of course they're going to stand up for God. Of course they're going to stand up to Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, they're heroes. I mean, Brother TJ preached on them uh, last week, and, and they're, they're awesome. I mean, uh, they're, they're just, of course they're going to do that. But what did this boy find out? I might not be the most talented, the most athletic, the fastest. But whether I win the race or not, I'm going to finish it. I'm not going to quit. What my plea to you this morning is simply this. Will you take every day of life with a decision in mind that I'm going to finish my race? I'm going to finish it. I may not be the most gifted. I may not be the most talented. I may not be the fastest. But I'm just going to keep doing one step at a time. And I'm going to finish my race. I'm going to finish it well. I'm going to be willing to not privatize my faith. I'm going to publicly stand for God. And when the chips are down and I feel like I have no choice and the, and, and, and the world is coming down on me, whether God delivers me or not, it's okay because I'm going to keep trusting on God and I'm going to believe that He has a bigger picture. His thoughts are higher than mine. His ways are better than mine. And I'm just going to believe and trust him. I'm just going to keep doing right. I'm going to keep being faithful to church. I'm going to keep standing time in my Bible reading. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep on walking with God, whether he comes through for me or not. I'm just going to keep trusting that he has a plan. He has a way. And I'm just going to keep running my race. I'm not going to quit. First Corinthians 4.1 says, let a man account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. May we be a man that's just found faithful. I'm just going to keep going. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep standing up for truth. I'm going to keep trusting God. Even in the midst of the furnaces, if you will, of life, I'm not going to stop. I want to encourage you this morning to just keep on going. I know some of you are dealing with way more things that would just boggle my mind. I I probably couldn't understand what you're going through. I don't pretend to have it all figured out. I don't pretend to to show that I'm the master at this. Because honestly, I'm human and I'm flesh just like you. But I do know one thing. Here's a story of some boys who just decided in Babylon, maybe God put us here for a reason. Maybe we can make an impact in Babylon if we'll just keep serving God. And God bless them for it. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Maybe there's someone here today that would say, you know what, Pastor Justin, I I did not realize that Jesus Christ faced the furnace for me. I I didn't realize what he did for me on Calvary. I, I didn't know he created me. 
I didn't know he cares for me. I didn't know he comforts me. I, I didn't know he, he came for me. I didn't realize he was crucified for me. And, and I didn't understand why he died for me. But this morning I understood he did it for me, for you. And if I would just give my life to Christ this morning, I could know without a doubt that I'm going to heaven. I could be a child of God. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I don't want to embarrass anyone. I promise you I won't. But I want to pray for you if I could. I want to pray that you will be able to get along with God and you will have the opportunity to invite Christ in your life. If that's you this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would say, Pastor Justin, I want Jesus in my heart. I want him in my life. I want to become a child of God. I want to go to heaven when I die. Will you pray for me this morning? If that's you, will you slip up your hand? Anybody this morning? God bless you. I see that hand. Anyone else? I see that hand. Praise the Lord. Anybody else this morning? God bless you. I see those hands. I encourage you to say something like this in your heart. Say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I deserve to go to hell, but I don't want to go there. Lord, I believe and trust in you and invite you into my life. Please take me to heaven when I die. Thank you, Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if that was you this morning, would you just slip up your hand and say, I prayed that prayer. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. Praise the Lord. How many would say, Pastor Justin, I know for sure I'm going to heaven. I'm just like those two that just raised their hand. I've given my life to Christ. I know I'm saved, but I'll be honest with you. I've struggled a little bit with standing up for my Lord and Savior, and I've chosen to privatize my faith more often than be public about it. And God worked on my heart today. Pastor Justin, will you pray for me that I'll have the courage to stand like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I will publicize my faith and not be private about it. That you would slip your hand. I want to pray for you. God bless you all over. Maybe there's someone else today that would say, you know, I feel like I'm standing for the Lord, but I'll be honest with you. When these trials come, when these troubles come, I've balled up what I do contingent on what God can do for me. And I realized this morning, it's not about what, if God will do it or not. It's all about his love for me, what he's done for me on Calvary. And I don't want to love God plus. I don't want to serve God if. I want to just trust the Lord and serve him regardless of what he will do, but contingent on what he's done for me uh, as, as far as Calvary. Will you pray for me? that I'll just keep trusting God that you will slip up your hand. God bless you. And then last but not least, maybe there's someone this morning that you're going through a furnace right now. And you realize that Jesus Christ faced the ultimate furnace for you. And that furnace maybe is working you over. But may I encourage you to walk with God through it. Will you, will you, maybe you'd want me to pray for you this morning. You say, Pastor Justin, will you pray that I will be able to continue to be faithful even during this furnace? And I'm going to just keep trusting God that you will slip your hand. God bless you all over. Lord, you, you saw the hands. You know the hearts. Thank you for those who invited you into their life. May they understand they just made the greatest decision in all the world. And maybe they'll come forward and, and tell us about it. We want to rejoice with them. Maybe there's some this morning that raised their hand that are just really struggling with this area of trusting you. Maybe they've added too much to uh, uh, they'll serve if but they realize this morning that they'll serve you because of who you are, not because of what you can do for them. And I pray you also help them to realize that these trials, these furnaces that they're in, they can just keep trusting you. 
and they can just be like this runner at the end of the story who just kept on putting one step in front of the other because they wanted to finish the race. And may we finish the race with joy. We sure do love you, Lord. We don't have to be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's. We can just be normal men and women who just one day at a time keep trusting you and making decisions to publicly declare the gospel and not be private about it. We sure do love you, Lord. Bless this invitation to come. In Jesus' name, amen. If you could stand to your feet. For the next minute or two, we're going to have what we call an invitation. I want to invite you to come forward, maybe, if God's working on your heart. Maybe you'd like to solidify some things in your heart with God. Our pastors are down here. They're willing to want to pray with you. Maybe you'd like to follow Lord in baptism. Maybe you'd like to uh, uh, join the church. Maybe you'd like to share with the pastor that you invited Jesus Christ in your life. We, we are here for you. We, we want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. The altar is open. And may I encourage you to do what God has for you this morning as the piano plays. encourage you to pray for those maybe near you or those who are making decisions just pray quietly in your heart for them maybe you don't know your neighbor next to you but just pray that God will touch their heart and that God will be with them this week I know that's encouraging for me when people say they prayed for me and maybe just take a moment and pray for those next to you and just spend some time in prayer this morning with God as those who are making decisions finish up this morning God bless you. you may be seated. Uh, thank you so much for being faithful. What a great crowd in the, in the summer months, and I appreciate you being here. I know we had a special day, and the kids had a good time on the inflatables and with the school supplies, and I hope you are glad you're here today. hope you'll be back tonight as a pastor uh, preaches for us. Look forward to that, and uh, we'll have a video in just a second. At the Randall uh, family come, uh, sorry, the Walker family come, Randall and Keisha and Owen and Jed, and then Lorelai and Dax and Eleonora. And so the whole family has come to place their membership here at Grandview Baptist Church. Let's have the Walkers that are here stand up that are in the auditorium. <laughs> Wonderful people. God bless you. All in favor of receiving the Walker family into the membership of Grandview Baptist Church, say amen. 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 Praise the Lord for that. 
I got to meet the Walkers about two Sundays ago when we had the teenagers come back and speak from camp, and they live right above Multnomah Falls and Corbett. So you can tell they drive a ways to come here, but a wonderful, wonderful family. And we are thrilled to have you into the membership of Grandview Baptist Church. God bless each one in your family. Okay, Brother Jeff. Let's watch the next video at this time. Good morning and welcome to our service. We hope this morning's sermon from Pastor Justin Lehman was a blessing to you. Join us tonight at 5 for a special sermon from Pastor Munchler. There will be a church business meeting on Sunday, August 21st, following the 5 p.m. service. Join us as we vote to appoint two new deacons in our church. Awana will be starting back up Wednesday, September 7th. Every week, the children will get to play games and get prizes for completing workbooks and scripture memory. Throughout the year, there are fun theme nights where the kids can dress up according to the theme. Awana is for children two years old through fifth grade, and there is an annual club fee of $40 or $20 if the child already has a uniform. If you might be interested in helping in Awanas, please sign up at the welcome desk. There will be a paintball teen activity on Monday, August 29th for the teens in the 6th through 12th grade. The activity will be held at Camp Dakota in Scotts Mills, and the cost is $25 per teenager. The bus will be leaving the church at 12.30 p.m. and returning at 4 p.m. Every teenager must have a permission form signed by their parents, so be sure to pick one up at the welcome desk. Don't miss the special Sunday morning service on September 4th, where we'll hear Pastor Justin Lehman share his vision with us. Mark your calendars for events coming up in the next few months. Grandview's 38th anniversary service on September 11th, Tailgate Sunday on September 25th, Pumpkin Sunday on October 2nd, and Trucker Treat on October 30th. Did you know that you can help support Grandview by shopping at Fred Meyer and on Amazon? To set up community rewards on the Fred Meyer app, simply log into your account from your phone or computer. Click on the menu icon in the top right corner of your screen. Then locate the rewards tab. Now, select Community Rewards. From there, you can search for Grandview Baptist Church and press Enroll. That's it! Now, every time you use your Fred Meyer card, the company will donate money to Grandview Baptist Church. To sign up on Amazon, click on the menu icon in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. Now, click on the Settings drop-down menu and select Amazon Smile. Search for Grandview Baptist Church and then select our church in Beaver Creek from the list. Now, every purchase you make will give back to supporting the work of Christ in our area. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out a Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you, and you'll receive a gift card. Have a great afternoon, and we'll see you tonight at 5. Okay, please know you're loved. God loves you. We love you. Hope you have a great, great week. God bless you, you are dismissed.